The fourth Wednesday of every September is a special day for Christian high school students called See You at the Pole. It's just about every single church coming together, just meeting around the flagpole, have a short message, do some praying and worship, and just really coming together as the body of Christ and not separated by churches. This global day of student prayer began in 1990 as a grassroots movement by 10 students wanting to pray at their school. Prayer was like trying to be demolished from school, and students started this to stand up to that. And so it shows that we can still do that, and we still have the power and the freedom to pray. And so that's one thing. And the next thing I think it just signifies unity, just coming together at your school. We're here to show them that we aren't just teenagers. We're young adults needing to step up. I am a tree. Here in Granbury, Texas, students do more than just meet at the flagpole. They are part of what is called Converge. Nowadays, we have so many different youth groups and so many different churches that it's hard to come together. So Converge is just a time for the beginning of the year to kick off with all of us just coming together as one in the body of Christ. This is my first year doing Converge, but... Uh, so far what I've seen is it's a bunch of fellow Christians that love each other and are willing to tell their faith even at school like this morning we didn't see at the pole and some kids were walking by wondering what we were doing and they started asking me during school and I started telling them. This is our event for See at the Pole at Decker Field in Granbury. We have the See at the Pole in the morning and then here we come and we have a rally and get to rally together. Everyone's invited. You don't have to be a certain person. Anyone who is homo sapien. I decided I'd start hanging around my buddies who were 14, 15, even 16. And what they did, I would do. So when they would sneak the alcohol and drink it, I would too. When they would shoplift, I would too. I would do anything to fit in. Anything. My heart was aching. I'm like, why won't my dad love me? Like, you don't have to be afraid to come here. Like, there's so many people here that are loving and would love for you to come. This started about two and a half years ago when a bunch of youth pastors came together and said, we want to have a heart for our city. Uh, the first time we did it, we saw 90 students come to respond to the gospel and place faith in Jesus for the first time. This past spring when we did it, we saw around 50 students come to faith and knowledge of Jesus, be connected to the church, and grow in their faith. Uh, on my note this morning that I sticked on the flagpole was to pray for all the students and teachers that will have a great year and uh, that we'd confess our faith and not be afraid of it. We prayed specifically for a girl named Emily at our school. She was recently re-diagnosed with leukemia. I see students praying this year uh, just kind of collectively for a revival, just for that high school to be turned upside down for Jesus. It's not the religion that matters as much as it is just the relationship with you and Christ. To all them fellow Christians out there, just stick with it, stay strong in your faith. Don't worry about what kids say about you, stay strong. September 24th, every year at Decker Field, I just want to invite anyone who wants to come to come and worship with us and just pray for our schools. John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, make my followers one so the world will know that you sent me. The key to evangelism is unity with other believers. How can we 
tell them about Jesus if he's not reconciled us with each other, right? If you're witnessing to someone this week and they say, what are you doing telling me about Jesus? How come there's so many different churches that don't get along? Why don't you guys get your act together and then tell me about Jesus? And you can boldly say that is not true. We do get along. Over 700 of our teenagers were at Decker Field celebrating Jesus last Wednesday. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Our context here is, as always, Paul's glorifying the Lord in his instructions on how to live as believers. He talks about Christ giving gifts. And he explains that he descended, Christ being God, descended. He became a man. And I believe he continued to descend. He became a servant. He became a baby. He lived the life of a mere mortal. And he died the death of a criminal. And he continued to descend in being buried in the earth. But then he ascended by being raised from the dead and showing himself alive for 40 days. He ascended by receiving a name that is above every name and being given all authority in heaven and in earth. He ascended by going back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he who descended is the same who ascended. And having ascended, he sent back the Holy Spirit. He gave gifts to men. And in this sending back the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry, and that's where we're going to break in today to the text. He himself, meaning Jesus, verse 11, Ephesians 4, gave some, can we say some, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. So it's not everyone, some. And some pastors and teachers for the equipping, can we say equipping, of the saints for the work, can we say work, of ministry. For the edifying, can we say edifying, of the body of Christ. Now how long is he going to be doing this? For what purpose has this happened or is happening? The giving of gifts to men, the giving of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Till verse 13 is fulfilled. Till we all, can we say all, come to the unity of the faith. Are we there yet? And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, can we say maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Is that still happening in our day today? Yep. They're after your money. I was channel surfing one day and saw a guy selling a new anointing times 10 for $2,500. And I listened. That's what the sign said. And I listened. He was selling a new anointing for 250 But if you wanted one times 10, 2500 <laughs> Trickery. 
trickery of men. You have a new anointing, the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. Simon the sorcerer would love that, wouldn't he? He'd pay some money for that. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Can we say Jesus? From whom, this is the one who gave gifts, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are the parts of the body of Christ, are we not? And our joints are our relationships. How we connect with each other is the joint. And it's through our relationships, through our getting it right with each other, that we become effective, becoming all that God made us to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you speak to us today clearly from your word. Help us, Lord, to be challenged where we need to be. Amen. We're starting a new teaching series just for a few Sundays called You Are. Have no fear. We're not a man-centered or going to become a man-centered church. We just completed a journey through the Gospel of John for 60 Sundays called Jesus Is. And every Sunday we declared another, I think the last one, Jesus Is Sending. One before that was Jesus is continuing. Before that, Jesus is finished, declaring all the glorious things about Christ. So we are endeavoring to be a Christ-centered church. But it's important for us to know where we fit into all this. He is glorious, and we are called to ministry. Can you tell your neighbor you are called into ministry? You are called into ministry. Rick Warren on his blog one day, wrote May 21st of this year, if you are a Christian, you are a minister. God calls you to a service far beyond anything you could ever imagine. You were put on earth to make a contribution. You weren't created just to consume resources. God designed you to make a difference with your life. You were created to add to life on earth, not just take from it. God wants you to give something back. What God told Jeremiah is also true for you. Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Jeremiah 1.5. Just as Jeremiah had a unique calling, we have unique callings. When most people think of this special work, they think of pastors, priests, professional clergy. But God says every member of his body is to minister. In the Bible, the words servant, minister, are synonyms as our service and ministry. If you are a Christian, you are a minister. And when you're serving, you're ministering. God has a ministry for you in his church and a mission for you in the world. Is there anything holding you back from accepting God's call to serve him? I think one of the main things that holds us back is misinformation or the lack of information. That being the belief in the separation of clergy and laity. Going back to the dark ages, the church Jesus founded was glorious, but then there came a testing, and over the generations it fell into the dark ages, and during the dark ages there came into being the separation of clergy and laity. 
That is the preacher and the peons, the minister and the morons, the guy who knew how to read and the people that just had to take his word for it because they couldn't read. The man that studied and did the liturgy and the people that held on to legends and superstition. You see this at its worst in countries like in Latin America. I don't want to choose one and pick on a particular country. This is not how it started. This is not the plan of God. This, I believe, was the plan of Satan. But the church Jesus started is one he is building where the gates of hell or the gates of the grave or however you want to define that will not prevail against the church. And God is restoring the ministry of everyone. I'm not shooting at those call themselves clergymen, but he's restoring their ministry to be that of of effective equipping of the saints. And he's restoring the ministry of the saints to be equipped for the work of ministry. It's all about continuing the ministry of Jesus. So looking back at our text, looking at it as a column, Jesus Christ gave. Everything starts with him. You could call his ministry a sevenfold ministry, starting with him. He's the one that gives gifts to men. He gave some to be apostles. Now, what are apostles? Traditionally, it's believed the apostles are the first 12 that Christ appointed. The word itself basically means a sent one. If it's the first 12 and then one of them messed up, did that election in Acts 1 replace them and now we've got 12 apostles and as a certain cult believe, do we always have to have 12 apostles for the church to be the church? I think he chose 12 because that was a legitimate number to work with and be able to focus on. And it's because of what the Father told him to do. So he did everything the Father told him to do. And then he sent them out to be his representatives. He taught them to be a team and sent them out to be his representative. And if we had time to look through the New Testament, there were other apostles other than the original 12. Paul was one. He wasn't one of the original 12. So... The point is, they were a team of people sent out to establish churches. I believe, often what we call missionaries today, they could be seen as apostles. All right? Bob Lanning, who worships here six months out of the year, he comes home for six months and raises funds. When he's not here, he's out raising funds. He's a missionary to India. He's gone to India for six straight months working with a team of men that are established in churches. They've now established over 200. He's my hero. He's in his 70s doing this. He would never call himself an apostle, but he's functioning as one. Notice it's not capitalized. Big difference between this and what we see in today's world with those who are calling themselves apostles. Some prophets... We see some prophets in the book of Acts. What is a prophet? Paul said, those who prophesy speak edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Basically, in a nutshell, to edify someone is to build them up. To exhort someone is to call them up. Say, come on, let's get out of the mully grubs here and let's begin to do the will of God in this area. To comfort someone is to cheer them up. To embrace them in their pain and affirm them and be Jesus to them. This to me is what prophecy is about. About edifying, exhorting, and comforting the church. 
few years ago, a guy visited me and says he's a prophet. And he gave me a book and said, I'd like to come minister here. And I read his book, and his book said, he's the prophet after the order of the Old Testament. Not here. <laughs> Another church in town allowed him to minister, and that church kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The Old Testament prophets were men of God. They served God's purpose in their generation. But in the church, prophets are to build up and not tear down. If you see someone that needs to be rebuked, don't say, God, send them a prophet. If you know there's error, go to them in love. Get the log out of your eye and go speak to them about the speck that is in theirs. The purpose of prophecy is to edify, exhort, and comfort. Does it mean to flatter? No, not to flatter. But to build someone up, to exhort someone, to call them up, to cheer them up, to strengthen them. Don't laugh. This is an event. I was invited to be a part of. I accepted the invitation before I knew the poster was going to get out in Facebook land. So I have to bring it up because some of you have seen this, thinking, what in the world has happened to our pastor? This is at a Crown Plaza hotel in Houston. There's seven apostles and four prophets, and who knows what else at this thing. I was asked if I would lead a panel discussion. And I thought, you know what? I would like to ask those guys. Why is your titles capitalized? what happened to the original assignment given to apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers in Ephesians chapter 4? What happened to that original assignment? Apostles, had you gone somewhere where there's nothing and established churches? So pray for me that I don't lose my backbone. (laughs) That I do it in love. He gave some evangelists, an evangelist, The word evangelize or evangelist is someone who carries good, you or ev, good news, angel or message. Someone who can go to somebody who does not know Jesus and cold turkey began to minister the loving truth to them with boldness, an uncommon boldness. Now, all these guys are team players. There's no lone rangers in their midst. Some pastors, a pastor, the word pastor there means shepherd. Someone who watches over or cares for people's souls. Someone you could go to and pour your heart out to and trust them and receive encouragement and teaching. It does not say some teachers, I think, for two reasons. One, some pastors and teachers, this person's a pastor, whether he pastors a crowd or an individual, that person's going to teach some truth to help. But it's also possible for a person to be a teacher and not a pastor. I know some teachers I wouldn't go to with my trouble. Line up with the truth or get out. Come on, cry with me a little bit. What's the purpose of these gifts? For the equipping of the saints. Such damage happened in the ark in the dark ages. Ark ages. Dark ages. The heroes of the faith began to be venerated as saints and began to be prayed to. The word saint means sanctified one or someone set apart to be holy. That's us. We're the saints. There's only one that we worship. We don't worship each other. And we certainly don't worship the dead. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
We don't need any human mediators to go to Jesus. You know, Jesus' mama will really get your prayers answered. Go to her and she can get her boy to do what you want. Come on. We are the saints. When the angel Gabriel visited Mary, he told her she had been highly favored. That word in the Greek is the word kari, which is a word for grace. Tao, highly graced. You've been highly favored. To the church, I think, in Colossians, Paul wrote, we've been made accepted in the beloved. The word there for accepted is the same word, kari tao. The same grace that was given to Mary was given to you and I. We just have a different assignment. Was she worthy of it? She's a good person, but there were other virgins in the land. God, for some reason, chose her. For some reason, he chose us. Don't question them and say, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. We're called to ministry for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying or edifice building up of the body of Christ. The word there for ministry is a Greek word, diakonia, which means attendance, service, relief, office, ministry, aid. Literally, you could read, Jesus gave gifts to men for the equipping of the saints, for the work of relief, the work of aiding, the work of helping, the work of ministering, the work of attending to needs for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. You are called in the ministry. Don't throw up your hand and say, well, I'm not a clergyman. Where's the preacher at when you need him? You're the one. The monkey is on your back. Pay attention to it. I used to have a monkey, and when you have one on your back, you better pay attention because they're very mischievous. I mean, you, you go to church, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. Yeah. So, what, what are your thoughts on on God and church and heaven and stuff? All great questions. Just um, it's it needs to be answered. Pretty deep question for out on the lawn this morning. I do have a lot of thoughts on that particular issue. Sam, you rang? Pastor Mike, what took you so long? He was just asking me kind of what I believe. Gotcha, I'll take it from here. Thanks. See you guys. Okay. Well, first of all, Sam believes the Bible's the inspired, infallible Word of God. Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross as a, a propitiation... I'm sure your dad's going to start coming to the games. You know? Once the divorce is fine, you know, things get better. Pastor, can I, can I get a minute? Uh, not really. I'm, I'm babysitting. I've got some groceries to deliver and bill. I'm That's great. For... Look, hey, Jack over here needs somebody to show him the love of Christ. Dad's a real jerk. You know, you've got the counseling background. We got tickets to a game. We are late. Maybe just a round of catch to show him, hey, somebody cares. Yeah, well, see you Sunday. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I'm feeling okay, but the place is falling apart. I just don't know what to do. Every last dollar goes to the doctor. What can be done? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. That, that sounds really sad. Somebody need a minister? Oh, pastor. Great, um... 
She can't take care of her house. There's got to be something someone can do for her, right? You mean help her out? Uh, meet her needs? That's a great idea. Why did I think of that? <laughs> Don't know. I, you know, I just did preach a 16-week series on showing love in practical ways. Oh, yeah. Hey, great series. Good luck, huh? <laughs> Actually, I was just helping an older woman walk across the street. I left her in the median. Hi. All right, who wants one? For 1995. <laughs> There's a monkey on our back, and it's your calling into ministry. The Lord is looking to you. There's five things I would like to just mention before we close. When you're calling into ministry, we must minister in proportion to our faith. Not in proportion to your imagination, but in proportion to the faith God gives you. Look at this verse. Romans 12, talking about gifts. Verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. So our thinking is to be in alignment with the faith that God gives us. I think the King James says the measure of faith. Whatever that measure is, you're to think in alignment with that. Not in a measure of your unbelief, the measure of your faith. Not in the measure of your fantasies, but in the measure of your faith. Look at this, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. When you're exhorting, edifying, and comforting someone, do that in proportion to your faith. Believe it with all your heart, but don't get out into the realm of wild thinking or your imagination. You know? Yeah, I believe you're going to fill stadiums. People are going to come to your concerts, and the poor guy can't even carry a tune. So be sure it's something that God has spoken to your heart, because when he speaks to us, we have faith. Verse 7, or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. So the call into ministry is to put your faith to work, the faith that God has given you to see a need and to know something needs to be done about it and know that you can do something about it. And then you step out of your boat of unbelief and begin to do something about the need that he's led you to do in proportion to the faith. You know you can do it. You just know you can and you do it. We must minister with devotion to others. This isn't about us. This is about others. Paul wrote the church in Corinth, chapter 16, in his first letter. He said, you know the household of Stephanus. All right, this is a family, Stephanus' family, that is the first fruits of Achaia. Achaia is a, a region. Some of the first converts there was the household of Stephanus, that they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This family was devoted to ministering to the saints. They were devoted to the ministry of the saints. However you look at it, they were devoted to ministry, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. It was his will that this church devoted themselves. Can we say devoted? Devoted themselves with devotion to the ministry of the saints. Thirdly, we must minister reconciliation always. The bottom line of ministry where it's all going is reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is reconciling 
people to God and people to each other. That is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Jesus made the way through the work on the cross, and evangelizing or telling the good news is done when we tell them, hey, Jesus balanced the scales of justice. Jesus died for our sins. If you call on his name, you can be reconciled with God. Hey, you can forgive your enemies because Jesus paid the penalties. This is good news. It's always about reconciliation. If you're fixing your neighbor's car, it's about them seeing the love of God and ultimately being reconciled to God. Now, sometimes it's hard to see how does this fit in with the ministry of reconciliation. Let's say you're volunteering and serving or ministering in the nursery, changing dirty diapers. What in the world does that have to do with reconciliation? Because they don't understand English yet. How can you communicate to them? Well, you're making a way for, their, for that baby's mama to get some rest and relief and experience the love of God at your hand and maybe... She hears something from somebody that can lead her or him, there's dads in this picture too, to find reconciliation between each other and with God. Ultimately, this is what it's about. Fourthly, we must minister where the Lord assigns. Colossians 4, verse 17, Paul told the person he was writing to, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Ministry is not something you chase, it's something you receive. What has been dropped in your lap? It starts at home. It can be your own kids, it could be your kinfolks, it could be your marriage. I mean, I believe home is the launching pad for ministry. You know, if it's not working at the house, don't export it. Start at home, but don't stay there. It's not us four no more, and and we're just going to be our own little church, and we don't need anybody else. Well, that kind of thinking won't last very many generations. Before long, your church won't even exist. So what assignment has the Lord brought your way? What has he laid on your heart? Do it. Make sure it's the Lord and not SPE. You know what SPE is? Those who suffer with SPE are fascinated about what's going on Some place else. Anywhere but here, Lord, now do your will. (laughs) Proverbs says, a fool's eyes are on the ends of the earth. Not about everybody out there. It's about what's in front of you. What about that person that needs a hug and some love and some care, some compassion, some ministry, some prayer in your life today? Take heed to the ministry you have received that you may fulfill it. Number five, we must minister for the one watching us. This isn't for approval from men. Many of you are already in ministry and you didn't realize it. And you've been getting discouraged perhaps because you're not getting any credit. But could it be the Lord is using you and he's watching In one of the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus had this to say to that congregation. I know your works, love, service, there's the word, diakonia, ministry, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. 
the Lord observed their increased devotion. Now, he had some other things to correct them on, but the point I'm deriving from this text is he noticed their ministry. He noticed it. Don't belittle yourself for the things that you're doing right now in ministry. The Lord's watching. And he's one day going to say, well done, good and faithful servant or good and faithful minister. You are called into ministry. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here who knows they're called and they've been getting weary in fulfilling that calling or confused and not thinking they're making any traction, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them. Lord, whether it's teaching or serving or caring or praying, whatever that role is, Lord, I pray that you would increase the desire and confirm your will in the life of every called person here today. And I pray, Lord, for that person that didn't see themselves as a minister today, that you'd lift up their head and they'd begin to think soberly in alignment with the grace that you've given them and the measure of faith that they have received. And Lord, I pray that those problems that are before us, that we would begin to see them as opportunities to minister. Show us what to do. 